0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome everybody. And happy Mother's Day. Um, I'm very honored to be teaching on Mother's Day, or sharing on Mother's Day, and um, you know, I think it's, it's really, um, there's no other word for it, it's really sad that in a lot of cultures, a lot of spiritual lineages, a lot of cult, um, this goes, this is, a, not only in Buddhism, but in Buddhism, we have a lot of lost teachings, a lot of lost um, teachings from these amazing female practitioners that were just not documented. You know, if we look at the lineages of Tibetan Buddhism, a lot of the lineages and, you know, Theravada and whatnot, um, there are female entities, the Dakinis and whatnot, that are represented but the lineages are male lineages. And you know, thankfully, this is, this is changing, but there is you know, an incredible amount of work um, to be done. And I'm very, very happy to see um, yesterday, Wendy and I went up to Inside LA to the teacher authorization um, ceremony. And there's going to be a couple of them. There was five... Very experienced teachers, but were given the, the teacher transmission into the Theravada lineage that's been passed on through the teachers in Asia, through Jack and Sharon Salzberg, and then through Trudy, and then now to these teachers. And four out of the five were female. And we also honored the three graduating, the graduating class of the three uh, teacher, uh, the three individuals who just finished the teacher training through Spirit Rock, which is, I believe it's a four-year program, it's very intense, and it's on uh, training for a long-term retreat. And all of them from inside LA were female. And then we introduced the new crop of the inside the Spirit Rock teacher training the long program for retreat training, two out of the three were female. And not because, none of this was because they were female. It's because they were the most qualified um, in all instances. And so, and then we look at who's running inside LA. We have Trudy Goodman and and, um, and Christiana Wolf and, and Bess Sternlib. As the three senior teachers and then the wonderful Celeste who we keep trying to get down here who's just amazing we have amazing uh, teachers so it's wonderful that I feel like um, in a very close um, intimate way we're doing our part there Uh, but so much more needs to be to be done So, we're talking today about um, the topic of today, passionate non-attachment. And uh, I, I spoke another time about this uh, topic. It's very, um, has anyone ever dealt with this, Is this um, uh, of when to push and when to surrender? Like, is it one dealt with? Never. <laughs> Never. Yeah. And, uh, you know, upon uh, preparing for this, this talk, just kind of going over, I thought, you know, um, it really comes down to, an, to insight, really. It really comes down to having an experiential hit of, of wisdom, of to see things how they truly are. And I thought for a moment, I don't know if my talk is going to be much of help. <laughs> I don't know. let see what we can do. Because <laughs> it, really, it really is something that it's just not easy. And you see the saints and whatnot that have been able to do this effectively. And they really have insight. They really have insight. Um, and so to motivate ourselves really to get this experiential hit of seeing things as they truly are. It's really, really important uh, for us to conceptualize it. And uh, that's one thing. And this is very good, right? To have like a relative, let's say, bodhicitta. So there's ultimate bodhicitta and relative bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is the sincere wish to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. So, relative bodhicitta is I'm unenlightened. I know that I suffer, I know that other beings suffer just like me because they too um, are suffering from this unenlightened view, and so I must attain enlightenment so I could show others how to do the same, right? so this is like relative bodhicitta, and relative bodhicitta we cultivate on a daily basis, Right. I must attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. We cultivate loving kindness, we cultivate compassion, we cultivate sila, the ethics to do so, we cultivate concentration so we could pierce through the veil of illusion. Right? We cultivate all these things. Relative Bodhicitta. We have then we have ultimate Bodhicitta. Ultimate Bodhicitta knows that there's no such thing as a suffering being. Because the suffering in beings is empty. There's no such thing as suffering. Suffering itself is an illusion. Therefore, there's no such thing as an unenlightened being. We're not unenlightened. No one's unenlightened. This is ultimate view. An ultimate view... There's no good and bad, there's no enlightened and unenlightened. Like Suzuki Roshi said, there's no right and wrong. But what is right is right, and what is wrong is wrong. (laughs) And so in Tibetan Buddhism, we call this the difference between view and conduct. And I'm going to read a little bit. For one I want to read a little bit with how um, universal this passionate non-attachment is. And so I picked out some quotes for you from different sources. This is from some some guy named Gandhi. We'll see if he knows what he's talking about. I don't know. By unattachment I mean that you must worry I'm sorry. By an attachment I mean that you must not worry whether the desired results follows from your action or not. So long as your motive is pure your means correct. From an attachment I mean that you must not worry whether the desired results follow from your action or not. So long as your motive is pure your means correct. Now this is somebody who, from the outside, had a definite goal, right? had a definite purpose, had a definite, tangible physical goal. not a spiritual, lofty thing, but very uh, very direct things he wanted to see happen. Yet, this is truth to Gandhi. Right? Must not worry. It looked as though Gandhi was very worried. Very concerned. Yeah? This is right conduct. The view though, somewhere in there, he had an insight that everything was okay as it is. He carried both with him. From Lao Tzu. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. Here's one from the Gita You are only to perform your duty without an eye on their fruits. You are only to perform your duty without an eye. On their fruits. I'm seeing a theme develop here. (laughs) Another one from the Gita. One who performs his duty without attachment, surrendering the results unto the Supreme Lord, is unaffected by sinful action as the lotus is untouched by water. One who performs Performs his duty without attachment, surrendering the results unto the Supreme Lord, is unaffected by sinful action as a lotus is untouched by water. And so, this is, you know, when they say like an enlightened, like an avatar or something comes into being and they don't produce any karma. Although they perform action, but there's no attachment or desire. So, there's no karma produced by their action, they're liberated. Here's one from Ram Das. To become free of attachment means to break the link. Identifying you with your desires. The desires continue. They are part of the dance of nature. But a renunciant no longer thinks that he is his desires. To become free of attachment means to break the link identifying you with your desires the desires continue they are part of the dance of nature but a renunciate no longer thinks that he is his desires and so that leads us to really contemplate we're not going to get too much into this but you know who is striving And this is really the root of it, when we become attached, you know. Who is this I that's striving anyway? Who or what is striving? And they say we don't get compassion fatigue, for example, like when we're caring for another. We get expectation fatigue. And in life, we have expectation fatigue. And this is why non-attachment breeds amazing resilience. Just incredible resilience. Because it's that expectation that we're allowed to, to let go of. So we don't have fatigue anymore, right? We're energized just by producing our action itself. So I had a little lesson, my lesson in in uh, passionate non-attachment. It's, I've told this story before but um, so many of you know this maybe not, I don't know how much detail, whatever, but but my high school girlfriend, she became very ill after maybe we are 22, something like that. And we were together. And she came down with a chronic illness. And that went on for roughly seven years. And she was in daily chronic pain, and I mean, really, really severe chronic pain. She ended up having, I lost count, somewhere between 14 to 17 surgeries in that amount of time. She was so sick with pain and she would vomit so much that the enamel from the acid of her stomach removed, the, the enamel went away off of her, from her teeth. And she would get pain shots. So we would, we would go to the emergency room probably two to three times a week for years. And she would get pain shots from like Demerol and morphine. And we had so many shots that they couldn't find places on her body anymore to give the shot. So like both of her arms were full of scar, scar tissue, both of her, you know, buttocks, both cheeks, right? And so, you know, during this time, like I was striving so hard uh, to assist her to feel better, right? So we would go to any practitioner, any health practitioner that we could find, to get some relief. You know, in that time period, we racked up like thirty thousand dollars in um, credit card bills, trying to find relief. We tried everything. If you name a, a health modality. <laughs> Guaranteed it. Guaranteed we tried it. So, you know, at the time I was a really dedicated practitioner and and I just couldn't figure out why the universe would do this. You know, this beautiful young woman who just graduated college, was working at an engineering firm, was a ballet dancer, and then bedridden, you know, just, just like that. Mm. And no fr- you know, friends and family disappeared, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, obviously there were times when I became very angry, very frustrated. So I was very compassionate, you know, to her. I call it my seven years compassion training. Mm-hmm. But I had a really hard time with non-attachment. I definitely had a goal. I definitely had a goal. I, I needed her to get better. I didn't want her to get better. I needed her to get better. It just didn't make any sense, right? And this, this hurt a lot, and it hurt on a daily basis. You know It's like if you had this cute little puppy dog and you saw somebody beating it or something, it would just just, just hurt just hurt on the deepest level, right? So this is what I'd come home to. Every time I talked to her, I knew that she was suffering. It hurt so bad, right? I couldn't fathom that this would be correct or right on any level whatsoever. Right? And you know, the training came afterwards. So, um, so the end of the story, she. Um, because people want to know the end. Like, how, how did it turn out? <laughs> um, and this is a great don't know mine, too. I knew that I also had to leave at a certain point. Just like I knew that I had to stay, I also knew that I had to leave. And it was just something I can't explain. Um, but I did, and it ended up saving her life. Because what happened was, is that even though we didn't want to do it, She had to be on these hardcore pain medications, which we resisted for years, but the pain got so bad that we really had to just to do it, yeah. And when I left, it was very, very difficult, but I was paying for everything. So when I left, she couldn't afford anything anymore, and she went off all the medications. She had to. And when she went off all the pain medications for an extended amount of time, and we had tried that too, we took her into rehab and whatnot, she ended up getting Better, She got a medical marijuana card, and that got her like 80% better. The medications, as she says, were killing her. So All the medications were killing her. But afterward, is what she said to me a couple years later, which I always felt, and that is that she told me she had no hard feelings with me leaving, but she said, you being there was enough that was it, like you loving me and you being there that was it that was all that I needed so I had this expectation that I needed her to get better for me to do my part right and I think that you know when when it goes when it when this um this passion is for others and we see this in the Brahma viharas like when this passion is for others our job is to love that's it like our job is to love that's it it's like equanimity practice in the Brahma viharas right like we cannot we could love and we can give advice and we could do all this stuff but but others they're responsible for their own actions and also interdependence, like we don't know the cause and conditions that these things arise because of. No idea, right? No idea. No, I have no idea to this day why she chose that. And neither does she. But I think we could both agree, her and I both could agree, that it was a, definitely a beneficial time in our lives. And she she would say this too. It was incredible time, right? And then when it's for ourselves, then we need to look at selflessness. When it's with this attachment, and we and we have we want this for ourselves, right. then we have to look into the true nature of self. Yeah. So I'm going to read a little something on conduct and view, and then I'm going to, we're going to talk about a shortcut on how to to look at this uh, view. It's a little bit of a shortcut. How many people like shortcuts? Raise like (laughs) shortcuts. We don't like to admit it, but we all want a shortcut. Guru Rinpoche, so Pabas, Pabasambhava who brought this is the the founder of Tibetan Buddhism and the Nyingma school. Through the view, oh, sorry, though the view may should be as vast as the sky, keep your conduct as fine as barley flour. Don't confuse one with the other. When training in the view. You can be as unbiased, as impartial, as vast, as immense, and unlimited as the sky. This is the view. True view of emptiness. Your behavior, on the other hand, should be as careful as possible in discriminating what is is of benefit or is beneficial or harmful, what is good or evil. One can combine the view and conduct, but don't mix them, or lose one another, or lose one and the other. This is very important. View, like the sky, means that nothing is held onto in any way whatsoever. You are not stuck anywhere at all. In other words, there is no discrimination as to what to accept and what to, di- and what to reject. No line is drawn separating one thing from the other. Conduct, as fine as barley flour, means that there is good and evil, and one needs to differentiate
1: differentiate, differentiate,
0: (laughs) between the two. Give up negative deeds. Practice the Dharma. In your behavior, in your conduct, it is necessary to accept and reject. Do not lose the view and the conduct. If you lose the view and the conduct, you will never have a chance to be liberated. Do not lose the conduct in the view. If you lose the conduct in the view, you stray into black diffusion. Also from Guru Rinpoche. So the shortcut is: see, is this inner this inner attachment? that um, keeps us from seeing the true nature of things. So we're going to look today into the story of how this, is, how this arises uh, within us. Just like I needed you know, my girlfriend at the time, I needed her. This is a story. Like I couldn't... This is a belief, right? So the entirety of our external... The um, entirety of external phenomena, the entirety of our external world is processed inwardly in only three ways. In only three ways do we process our entire reality. In three ways. Who knows them? Seeing is just a sense door that actually triggers these things. Thoughts. 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 Yeah. Body. Feelings, emotions, right? Thoughts, emotions, and body sensations. This is it. All attachment arises because inherently we forget the true emptiness of these things. Like we forget the true emptiness of external phenomena, but our thoughts, emotions, and body sensations have immense control over us. We wake up in the morning and we say, Hello, thoughts, and the thoughts say, Hello. And we say, how are we today, thoughts? And our thoughts say, we feel like crap today. And we say, oh, really? Yes. And we say, all day, like, all day are we going to feel like crap? All day. (laughs) We look at our emotions. All day, you're sad today? Yes. Are we going to be sad all day? All day. And then we follow them like they just, you know, like a horse. Just on a, a dog on a leash. We just pulled all day. Thoughts, emotions, if the body's in pain, oh, we're suffering today, body. Are we? Yes. All day, absolutely. And we follow, right? No control.
1: Instead of, Instead so, of
0: seeing emptiness in all things, and all phenomena, the shortcut is to see the emptiness of thoughts, emotions, and body sensations. This is the shortcut. This is the freedom. And this is very simple contemplation, which we'll do. Because things that are actual, actually real and should have a sway on us are substantial and have substantial characteristics. So we could gain insight very quickly to the substantial or insubstantial characteristics of thoughts, emotions and body sensations. We just look very directly. So what does that mean? Something with substantial characteristics has a location. Take the singing bowl. Has a location. These days, you could even GPS it. We could put a GPS and send the, G- the, the bowl around and we could track it. It has a location. Yeah? Where do your thoughts come from? Where do they abide? Where do they go? So, we know where this came from. If could even trace back the metal, where it was mined, out of the earth. It has a location now, and if we got rid of it, we would know where it went. Right? It also has a density. It's substantial in that way too. Right? We could test its density against other metals and whatnot, right? Has a density, has a weight. How much do your thoughts weigh? How much do your thoughts weigh? Nothing? How much do they feel like they weigh? Why? If if half of the answers in the beginning said nothing and then I said how much they feel like they weigh, what is the difference there? Yeah, everybody knows the answer to that, right? We give them that. And if we give them that, then we could take that away. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we know that they don't have any power on their own unless it's whatever we give them. <coughs> so we can go on, like texture, color. Right? We can go on substantial characteristics. Yeah? Same thing with an emotion. Where is an emotion... Where is an emotion? Where does it come from? Does it need to be tied to anything anyway? This is a fascinating thing. When we feel an emotion, we say, oh man, it's because of that person or that situation. Right? That's why we call this a triangle of, of awareness because an emotion will go into a story. A lot of times an emotion has a bundle of thought attached to it. We get an emotion and we also get our greatest hits of our thoughts about that emotion. <laughs> it was tied to this person or whatever or what you're going through that day or whatever it might be, yeah. We tie a story along to that and then we get the body sensations or it might start out with body sensations and go to emotion and go to thoughts if you're in chronic pain or something like that, right? Could go either way. And same thing with something like chronic pain. Is chronic pain, it's not the same pain that's chronic. Pain is changing every single moment. It's shifting. Even location, it's throbbing, it's piercing, it's dull. It's heavy, it's light. It's there, it's not there. Right? Our story about it, what what makes it feel consistent. So again, this unattachment comes from, can we see the true nature of these thoughts, emotions, and body sensations? And in doing so, upon the investigation of that, we're marinating not within them for the first time. Because usually we leapfrog from one thought and one emotion and we are self-identifying as we leapfrog onto another thought and emotion and body sensation all day long, right? When we step back into the neutral observer, right? we are then marinating... In our true nature, in this experience of what am I without my thoughts? What am I when I'm not following my thoughts? What am I when I'm not self-identifying as my thoughts? Then we're marinating in the view. We're marinating in the view. So different. Where does your awareness begin and end? Awareness can hold a trillion stars, like space. Space holds a trillion stars without an effort, like no problem. Do you think space cares if one of the little planets is burning up at that moment? Space doesn't care. But we become very finite when we grab onto a thought. We don't go from infinite potentiality in awareness and we become very finite right? as we grab onto a thought, emotion, or body sensation. So let's do a little meditation. Let's, let's look into the, our own true nature here for a moment. Just looking into these thoughts, emotions, and body sensations that have such a powerful effect on our attachment. So just experience the answer without analyzing. That's just more thoughts. Where do my thoughts come from? Just look. Another question is just to drop into the akasha, the mind chitta, the space. Just dropping this question, when does a thought become mine? Who or what is the owner of that thought? Can you find the owner of the thought? Experience the answer. Observe the thoughts abiding in a specific location. Experiencing that same question about weight. Do they have a weight? And then the most powerful question is, can you let them be as they are? Letting them come, letting them go. read a little quote from Thomas Merton just keeping your eyes closed and just let these words land into your being my soul does not find itself unless it acts therefore it must act stagnation and inactivity bring spiritual death but My soul must not project itself entirely into the outward effects of this activity. I do not need to see myself. I merely need to be myself. I must think and act like a living being, but I must not plunge my whole self into what I think and do or seek always to find myself in the work that I have done. I started off in the beginning saying that you know, we really do need insight to do this effectively. Um, and this insight is what am I when I'm not following my thoughts, emotions and body <coughs> sensations. What am I when I'm not self identifying as my thoughts, emotions and body sensations. And we can do this all the time throughout the day the moment we could recognize, thought is arising. The recognizer is present. We are present as the recognizer. The knower and the known. Like we, all the time, we are identifying with what is known. Very rarely being the knower. What is the knower of what is known? Marinating in that, short time, many times, drip by drip fills the cup. The knower is not attached, but it's really an experience of non-attachment. It's that I'm okay no matter what, and I'm propelled to move. And I know this is just, comes as no surprise, but... And ultimately, we're moving just from compassion. Like, that's it. Because people say, well, what's my motivation if nothing really matters? Because love matters. Love matters because love is who you are. When we marinate long enough, outside of our thoughts and emotions, which go up and down all the time, crazy, crazy, love remains innately present in emptiness, uncultivated and uncontrived, waiting for us. If we let go of anything and everything, let go of everything for a moment, like Papaji said, if you could just for a moment surrender to everything, what remains is what you are, uncultivated. Like let go of everything. What's there? What's still there? When everything is let go of, that's it. And innately there are those things that we're trying to cultivate. They're innately there, uncultivated. Compassion springs forth. Just because, not because of an outcome or anything else like this, it just is. It just is. And so this is that when I think from, and myself included, like we see these saints and we think, oh man, they're just trying to do such good in the world. It's just that they have to do good in the world. It's that their service is just oozing from them. Is this something that they just have to do? We might look at it like they, they need a result to happen for, for their movement to come to fruition or something like that. But ultimately, like Gandhi, who looked like he had an incredible amount of absolute purpose, like he would not die a happy man if this and this, this didn't take place, I'm not quite sure. He would still find some kind of contentment in how things are, yet, until his dying breath, you know, even starving his, himself, right, for, for compassion for the benefit of all beings. Yeah. Dalai Lama, happy guy, happy guy, lots not to be happy about. He could totally not be a happy guy with attachment. Any questions, comments? Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, when during the guided meditation at the end, when you said, "When do my thoughts become mine?" Yes, immediately came into
1: my mind. One, I think it's awesome like a thought thoughts are just they're just a stream going by (laughs) when I deem one particularly like ooh awesome (laughs) that's when it becomes mine I thought
0: that Mm -hmm. that's what it feels like for me thank you I think to build on that
1: when you asked when a thought becomes mine um, immediately it was to connect to connect to something whether it's to connect another thought to another thought to make it I almost think I was starting to give a spider's word it's like I'm gonna connect this and I'm gonna connect this mm-hmm. thought and to sort of create this sort of web of awareness, whether it's a real web or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know if awareness is the right word, but web of connection is probably the word I was thinking.
0: It's kinda of interesting.
1: Okay. Thank you. When you um asked where does the thought come from? So I was thinking, okay, where does the thought come from? Like really finding the source. So you are thinking. Thinking, <laughs> thinking. But not thinking. Not thinking. That's the thing. Like I couldn't think if I'm looking for a thought. So all of a sudden, it's just empty, And then I could really feel the silence and hear everything. And it was sort of like a brief moment. And
0: I started thinking. <laughs> 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 Wonderful. Short time, many times. Yeah. Chip by chip, feels like that. Wonderful.
1: Yeah. So, as I started to close my eyes, and I was thinking of, you know, body sensations and thoughts, I realized, oh, gosh, I don't have any of that. And then I realized, that's not true. I'm actually denying a thought right now. And what was coming up for me was a body sensation, which was my stomach was growling. And then I got really attached to my stomach growling. Right? And I was, then I started I feel myself starting to tense up because I was like, okay, I'm in a really quiet room. <laughs> and <my stomach's> <laughs> right? And then and then I had to start letting it go because then I started getting into a bigger picture, which that's like completely okay because everybody does that. But it was really funny. To, uh, initially starting to think I had no thoughts and I was just sitting here just completely in just bliss land but I was actually denying like the biggest thought that was going through my mind mm-hmm. my body sensation so I got it I had a little inside joke with myself <laughs> <laughs> kind of fun yeah. that's kind yeah it was it was good
0: thank you yeah. did you have a question? no no
1: i um, also thinking about uh, what's this thought, where does it come, I, uh, I saw myself as a little child over here grabbing it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I thought, it's the wound that's talking,
0: always the wound if I'm grabbing it, mm.
1: history of fear,
0: something like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you. When you're asking all those questions, I was just sitting here and like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, and then I just like let that go and then like my thoughts come from my memory, my stored experiences, and if I live in those thoughts, I'm not living from my heart, but if I live from my heart in my soul, It's, there's no, there's nothing stored there but pure goodness. And so it seems like I'm free from thoughts when I'm living from that place because there's nothing stored there. I don't know if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah,
0: And, and also pay attention to that, I don't know, I don't know.
1: But it turned into knowing. But I do like to, I don't
0: know. I like <clears> the <throat> Yeah, it's like really similar to that heart place that's beyond those stored memories and whatnot. Like, I don't know. See, it's uh, I don't know is that place of not contrived an uncontrived place that could lead to the heart and all that. Yeah, yeah thank you.